standing as we read God's Word together as we've been doing over the last several Sundays. And when we come to the underlined portion, you know what to do, right? You're going to read along uh, together as we come to the longest of the Ten Commandments, to the Fourth Commandment, the commandment on the Sabbath. Let's look together at God's Word. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of God. You can be seated. We come here to the Ten Commandments. We've been working our way. We actually started way back at the very start, Genesis 1-1, right? Worked our way through Genesis Worked our way through the narrative part of Exodus, coming now to the Ten Commandments, and we're sort of slowing down and considering each commandment individually that God gave. And part of the reason we're doing that is the Ten Commandments really form a basic overview of Christian ethics. They are the big ten, aren't they? They're the ones that really begin to form throughout the rest of the Bible, how we are to think as Christians and live in light of who God is. And they're not just important for what they say. They're actually important as to how they're ordered. Let me give you a, a couple big picture things. Did you notice in the first four commandments, it goes short, long, short, long. There's a short command, commandment one, have no gods before me. Then there's a long command regarding graven images, a short command regarding God's name, and then a very long command regarding the Sabbath. They've ordered that to kind of help with memorization, so you can keep that in mind if you're ever kind of getting the third and the fourth one backwards. You can kind of think about that order, but even all ten of them are there in order for a particular reason. The first four are vertical commands, addressing our relationship with God. Keep him first. Worship as he commands. Don't take his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. They're vertical, right? Whereas the last six, commandment five through ten, honor your parents, don't murder, don't steal. They're primarily horizontal, right? That has to do with our relationships 
with others. And actually, the best way to summarize the Ten Commandments, Jesus actually summarized them when he said, in actuality, there's two great commandments, right? Love God and love neighbor. That's a summary of the Ten Commandments. The first four primarily address love of God, and the final six, love of neighbor. And as we've gone down through the commandments, God has been answering with each of them a big life question. Commandment one, who are we to worship? Because worship is not an option. All of us are worshipers by nature, but we need to worship the one true God and not false things, right? Commandment two, address how are we to worship? According to God's commands, not with our own imaginations and using graven images. Three, how are we to treat holy things? How are we to speak of God and handle things that are holy? That's what the third commandment addressed. And now the fourth commandment answers the question, how should I structure my life? How should I have a particular rhythm in my life? And before we get to sort of the Sabbath and us, I want to think a little bit about what makes the Sabbath command unique compared to all the others. Because the Sabbath is a little bit um, is a little bit unique from the other Ten Commandments in a couple ways, and it actually has caused some difficulty for Christians when they try to put together, hey, I know it's unique, and I know it's applicable to me, but then there's some other things that, that just kind of can cause some, some trip-ups for people. So let's consider what makes the Sabbath unique. First, the Sabbath command is unique because the Sabbath can be classified as creation and ceremonial law. I'll give you a second to write that down, but you remember back when we started the Ten Commandments, we said that God's law has various uh, ways in which it comes to us, right? That there are laws that God give that are rooted in creation. So we shouldn't murder because God is the maker of life. That there were civil laws that were how Israel was to apply that law in their particular national context. And then there was ceremonial law that had to do with the temples and the sacrifices and those sort of things in the Old Testament. And the Sabbath really has a foot in both the creation law world and the ceremonial law world. Think about this. As you think about the Sabbath, think about this. The Sabbath has a foot in both worlds because the Sabbath is ultimately part of a much more complex calendar that Israel was to keep. They were to keep a weekly day of rest. But if you ever read the Old Testament through, you know there were new moon celebrations. They had monthly Things. They had multiple yearly festivals that they did. And even the Sabbath, one in seven, is set in the context of every seven years, everything restarted in the nation. All debt was forgiven. They had something called the Jubilee, where they restarted every seven years. So it's interesting, really, you kind of have the Sabbath, but they've got a whole calendar built around this. You can even see that if you want. You can go home and read Leviticus 23 and 25. Chapter 23 and 25 of Leviticus where the Sabbath is set next to the Passover, the Feast of Booths, all these other ceremonies. And so if we've got the Sabbath here, God saying, hey, do it because I created the world this way. But then you've got it set over next to all these other celebrations. The question people often ask is, well, if I have to keep the Sabbath, do I keep... The rest, 
they can cause some confusion for folks. Here's the second reason the Sabbath is so unique. The Sabbath command is unique because Christians worship on Sunday. Didn't know if you realized that. You showed up here. So I think we've kind of got an idea that Christians worship on Sunday. But the Sabbath, remember, the Old Testament Sabbath was the seventh day. That was Saturday for the Jews in the Old Covenant. Yet as far back as the book of Acts, they worshiped on Sunday, the first day of the week. Let me show you this. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when we were gathered together to break bread, that's likely the Lord's Supper, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So notice, first, they're worshiping on the first day of the week. They're breaking bread, likely the Lord's Supper. And friends, the pastor went until midnight. I know, I'm not planning to do that to you today, but if we wanted to be biblical, <laughs> right? But, so the Apostle Paul started, he ends up at midnight, and see this, the early church worshiped on Sunday. This is, there's various places in the New Testament You'll see this. And in fact, they even gave Sunday a name. They called it the Lord's Day. Because it was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's his day. And it's actually on Sunday when, when God poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That was on a Sunday. It is the eighth day, the first day, the Lord's Day. And it plays a huge role in the New Testament. And so people will think, well, wait. Why would I need to keep Saturday Sabbath if we worship on Sunday? And it causes some folks some confusion. And then the third reason the Sabbath command is so unique is because there was disagreement about how followers of Jesus related to the law. All the way back, even in the days of the New Testament, one of the primary issues was all of these Jewish believers were coming out of Judaism, believing in Jesus as the Messiah and going, what do I need to do with the Sabbath laws, the food laws, the laws around circumcision? They really had the three D's were their primary concerns. What do I do with the days, the diets, and the duties that God said to do in the Old Testament? What do I do about the Sabbath days? What do I do about the diets of, man, I'm not, I'm, this guy over here is eating bacon and I didn't think I was supposed to do that. What do I do with the duties of circumcision? And the book of Romans, Galatians, Colossians, and Hebrews all address certain parts of this controversy. Friends, there's a lot in the New Testament about how New Covenant believers relate to the law. And we all have, I think, a friend or family member, maybe we know somebody who... Man, they, they had somebody on YouTube tell them that they still need to keep the food laws. They got to only worship on Saturday. All the worship on Sunday, y'all are, are missing the mark. Y'all are doing something evil. How should we think about all of this? Well, let me offer you Paul's conclusion on, on all of this and what the Apostle Paul thinks about it. And then if you have more questions, we can talk one-on-one -on -one at some point if you want. But here's what... The Apostle Paul does. Here's how he puts the sort of the, the ribbon on the present of how the early church thought about circumcision, food laws, and Sabbath. Here he is, Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Look at this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink 
or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Friends, here's the good news. You can eat bacon. But we shouldn't judge those who might feel that there's something that they shouldn't consume or eat, whether due to conscience or other issues. Paul talks about over in the book of Romans, some esteem one day better than another, and some believe that certain days are to be kept set apart in certain ways, and we should be careful not to judge one another about that. The Holy Spirit is telling us, though, that the Old Testament customs, the days, the diets, and the duties were shadows pointing toward Christ. And now that Christ has come, we're not bound by them, nor should we judge someone regarding them. We are not under the Sabbath the way the Old Covenant Israel was, just like we're not under their food laws or the laws about circumcision. They served a particular purpose. They pointed forward toward Christ. But I don't think that means we can just end the sermon on the Sabbath here and go, well, we're not under it, so let's just go home. (laughs) I do think the Sabbath has something to teach us. In principle, it definitely has something to teach us. And I don't think we can simply go back to Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, and sort of cut them out of our Bibles. Let me show you this in 2 Timothy 3.16. We're told this, that all Scripture, there's not a little star that goes down and says, except the Sabbath, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So there is something we can learn and draw from the Sabbath, even if we're not directly under the Sabbath command the way that ancient Israel was. Here's the point for us, and then we'll look a little more at the specifics. The Sabbath teaches us how to structure our life. The Sabbath still teaches us how to structure our life. So let's look a little bit at this together. We see first that the Sabbath was a day of rest. The Sabbath was a day of rest. I want you to look, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your servant or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. You see it? The Sabbath was a day of rest. It gives a rhythm. Six days you shall work. And on the seventh is the Sabbath, a day of rest. And it actually looks back to the days of creation, right? God created in six days and then rested on the seventh. And let me say, it wasn't that God got tired. (laughs) It was like, shoo, I need a day off. Friends, God gave it to us as a pattern for our own life. And you know why he gave us that pattern? It's to give us a basic and essential truth. The Sabbath is there to teach you and us together that we are not God. Friends, it's there to teach us that we are not upholding and sustaining the world. Your job, whatever it is, is not important enough that you can't take a day off. Friends, whereas the Lord, he is always upholding and sustaining the world. And the Sabbath leads us to ask, do we believe the world will stop moving if we stop working? 
Let me say a special word to some of the hardest workers in this church, to moms here in our church. Let me say this. Let me encourage you. The house will not cave in if you take a day off. Breathe out. Some dishes in the sink, some dust on the counter is not going to cause the whole house to cave in. And friends, you can let the kids or the husbands take care of it. Let it sit for a day. Let it sit for a day. I caused a conversation on the way home now, didn't I? You're, you're welcome. But let's be careful not to mistake rest for idleness or absolute inactivity. We need to make sure this is clear. It can mean inactivity, But rest is presented as the opposite or in contrast to what you do for work. So let me illustrate it this way. There are two types of people in in the room when we think about rest. There is the folks who think about absolute inactivity and they are so excited. And then there's people who think about absolute inactivity and they're like, nope, this sounds like a curse, right? I want to show you a little bit. Let's take, let's take a brief look at Jesus, one of his Sabbath days. You can actually find this. You can read the whole thing if you're curious in Matthew chapter 12. But I want to show you just a little bit of one of Jesus' Sabbaths to illustrate for us how the Sabbath is to look. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Sounds like a pretty relaxing day, right? Walking through a field, just eating plucks of grain. Think about it. They're just kind of hanging out, eating chips. That's how they're starting their Sabbath. Then the Pharisees come along, and the Pharisees had misunderstood the Sabbath and had made 600 and something laws regarding what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. They made the Sabbath a burden rather than a blessing, And they go, Jesus, you are not supposed to eat chips on the Sabbath. And Jesus corrects the Pharisees and said, certainly food is allowed on the Sabbath. He says, consider David who provided temple bread for his men or the priests who work on the Sabbath. He says, it doesn't break the Sabbath to do what is necessary or to only do the bare necessities. That's a perfectly okay way to spend your day of rest. But then, the, but then Jesus' Sabbath got a little more interesting. He travels a little bit around, and as he's traveling through the area, we see Jesus beginning to do great acts of mercy for the glory of his Father. A man with a withered hand comes to him, and he heals the man with a withered hand. He does tons of other healings. Friends, he casts the demon out of a man... And he corrects the misunderstandings of a Sabbath. That sounds like a pretty full day to me, doesn't it? I've never had a day off where I encountered a man with a demon, right? But that's how Jesus spent his Sabbath, as a day full of mercy. So here's the point. Some of you, the Sabbath is best spent sleeping in, eating some chips on the couch with your feet up, or having a cup of coffee on the back porch. God will keep the universe spinning if you're inactive for a while. But we also need to realize 
that while the life of faith is a marathon and not a sprint, sometimes we need to slow down. Sometimes we need to take an opportunity away from the busyness of life. Others of us need to realize that rest may involve busyness with something other than our jobs. Something we're not able to do during our regular work week. For some of you, that may mean you need to go for a run. You need to work in the garden. You need to get a hobby. Go serve the needy. One day of doing something you wouldn't normally be able to do during your day of work. Something that can give you a level of busyness and ultimately bring you refreshing to your soul. Friends, especially if you work at an office job, a day of activity will likely be good for your soul sometimes, right? Got to get out from behind the desk, got to go do something. For others who are very active during their week, a day off on the couch may be the best possible thing. Jesus never once broke the Sabbath, and look how his day could look. He went from eating some grain in a field to casting a demon out of a man. The key is to make sure we pursue true rest whether that's on the couch with some chips or on a run with the dogs. And friends, the rest is worth it. God created six days for us to labor, but he also made a day of rest. Let me tell you this, many of our problems, mental, physical, spiritual, would simply be addressed if we followed God's pattern for our life. Some of us are frustrated with our work because we never take a day off. Some of us are depressed in our souls because we never do anything that brings us life. Some of us have conflict with our family because we don't simply go spend some time recharging ourselves. Or we feel overworked doing everything and not delegating it out. Friends, we need a day of rest. And I understand how difficult that can be to think about. And that brings us to the second reality of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest, but friends, the Sabbath was also a day of trust. The Sabbath was a day of trust. Let me tell you this, it takes faith to not work every day. It takes faith to not work every day and to take a day off. And that's actually what the Sabbath was given for, to encourage faith and trust in God and not in ourselves. I want you to think back just four chapters to Exodus chapter 16. When the people of God entered the wilderness, God began to give them manna from heaven, right? Brought from heaven to feed them on their journey. They go out daily and they get their bread for the day. And God said, hey, don't load up too much because it'll rot by the end of the day. These weren't good to keep for leftovers, right? But God did say on the sixth day, go gather twice as much because it will last you for that seventh day when you're to take a day off and not to go out and gather. But the people think they know better than God does, and they go out on the seventh day. And let's look what happens. This is Exodus 16, 27 to 30. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Imagine only having what you needed, groceries-wise, for one day. Then you'd have to go back out to the store and get it for another day. 
Except on the sixth day, you had to go out and get enough to make sure you had for the sixth day and the seventh day because there wasn't going to be another opportunity to go. The Sabbath teaches us to trust God for our daily bread, and it also teaches us that God will provide for our days of rest. It teaches us to trust God. See, the Sabbath is not an encouragement to laziness. It's actually an encouragement to work even harder the other six days. Exodus 20, verse 9. Look at this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Friends, that takes planning. You got all your things you got to get done in six days. And it's not an invitation to laziness, but an invitation to work hard and to trust God for the harvest. And it's a rhythm that requires us to look up from our work sometimes and to give thanks to heaven for giving it to us. It leads us to ask, to ask, do we believe God will bless our six days of work enough to provide for the seventh? Do we believe God will bless our work enough? And let me tell you, let me encourage you, this pattern of work and rest is so important. For in some of our problems are caused by not having enough rest, Friends, for some of us, our problems are caused by not having enough work. Paul warns in, in his letters about folks becoming busybodies. They're so busy in other people's stuff because they don't got enough stuff to do. Or if you begin to worry or consider your own purpose in life, maybe you just need a little bit more to go do. So let me say this this isn't necessarily talking about, hey, you need to go make sure you have an, another nine-to-five job. Work can look in all kinds of ways. Friends, if you're a parent, you work a lot. And that includes not just your job that earns your income, but friends at home, right? And I don't think the Bible is being anti-retirement here because you can be retired and work very hard on other things. The Bible is not anti-retirement, but the Bible is always pro-work. You can be busy at work and not necessarily receive a paycheck from that work. For some, it means go volunteer, learn a new skill, get a hobby, spend time with your family, your grandkids, whatever it is. We all see and we all know people who the moment they stopped working, they began to deteriorate. And everything began to sort of slip away. That's why this commandment is teaching us the value of work and rest. That's what the fourth commandment teaches us about and to trust God with both. But the Sabbath isn't just there for you. The Sabbath is also there for those around you. Let's see third, that the Sabbath was a day of mercy. The Sabbath was a day of mercy. Look back with me, Exodus 20 and verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. Notice that the Sabbath was not simply about an individual rest. He says everybody in the family, dad, mom, son, daughter, Every economic level, master, servant, and every creature, people, livestock, even Israelites and the sojourners, everybody needed a day off. 
And this was an act of mercy. Everybody got a day of rest. Exodus 23, verse 12, just a few chapters over, tells us this. Six days you shall do all your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. The Sabbath was there to refresh you, to restore you, and to encourage and restore those around you, to help the other six days be more beneficial and more productive. So let me apply this to you. If you're a boss or a manager, you have people that work under you, do you value the Sabbath of those who work for you? Maybe that phone call or that work email can wait a little bit. Maybe you can put it on the calendar to send it on Monday. And do you encourage folks to work on their day off? Friends, the Sabbath would confront any of us who lead another group of people. Do we value our employees' rest as much as we value our own? And do we value others' rest as much as we value our own? Now as to consider how a commandment like this would have sounded to the Israelites. Remember, the Israelites were once slaves in Egypt, and they worked without a Sabbath. But now he says, Israel, as you build a new nation, even the servants among you are going to get a Sabbath. Heck, God says, give the cows a day off. And if the livestock get it, Certainly everybody else should, too. It was meant to be a gift for all, for the rich, for the poor, for the young, for the old. Let us consider, do we allow rest for the people that we work with, for the employees we lead? Do we allow Sabbath in our family, for our spouse and our kids? Parents, I know it can be frustrating when your child sleeps in on Saturdays until who knows when. But they do work. Right? They may not be earning that paycheck, but friends, school is difficult. They've got other extracurricular activities. Plus, they're up early on Sunday here. Many of them are serving and involved. Friends, a day of rest is not going to teach them laziness if they understand the proper structure for their life. And friends, the Sabbath isn't just for our physical bodies either. The Sabbath is also to bring rest to our souls. This is the fourth thing we see, that the Sabbath was a day of worship. The Sabbath was a day of worship. Look with me, Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, You'll see there's not technically a text that says on your weekly Sabbath, you need to go worship. It's not there in the Old Testament. You won't find it. You might find Leviticus 23.3 that calls the Sabbath a holy convocation, but it doesn't really tell you what you're supposed to do because the Sabbath was primarily about inactivity. But we know that since God made a a day to be holy, it would make sense to honor and worship the one who made it holy, right? That it would make sense that as the yearly festivals, which were Sabbaths, were days of worship, so should our regular rhythm be to give a day to worship God. Because worship is where we experience true rest in God's presence. 
It's where we express true trust in God. It's where we rejoice in the mercy of God. And friends, the Sabbath without worship is nothing but a rigid rule that brings death and not life. And this is why we need to make sure that even if we're having the proper structure and the proper day off, that we are using our day of rest to pursue the one who fulfills the Sabbath. Here's the conclusion. Here's the point. The Sabbath points us to Jesus. That's something we need to see. That, friends, you can take a day off all you want, but, friends, we need the one who offers true Sabbath rest. And remember, this is actually what Paul's whole point was as he was dealing with the controversies in the early church about the days, the diets, the duties. He said, hey, they were shadows pointing toward Christ. While we aren't under a rigid Sabbath commandment that means you need to just stop doing everything on Saturdays, friends, we are still invited to experience Sabbath rest. And Jesus offers us the fullness of Sabbath rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Look at this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice that Jesus says true rest is found in him. And he's not simply saying, oh, please, make sure to make me a priority one day out of seven. But rather, he says that rest is found by being yoked to him, which means walking with him every single day day. Friends, we enjoy and experience God's rest through faith alone in Jesus. Because the New Testament teaches us that the death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. After Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, they're such a big deal that the church ceased worshiping on the seventh day Sabbath and started worshiping on the first day, on the Lord's day that God's people began to worship on the first day because Jesus rose again because they realized that Sabbath rest is only truly available through him, that the shadow had been brought to substance. And this should encourage us to make worship even more of a priority. Because when we worship and we're in the presence of God and we're, and we're experiencing that rest, our future eternal rest reaches back into the present and we get a taste of it. And we get a taste of the life to come. In fact, if you ever are curious about this, you can go home today and read Hebrews 3 and 4. That's all about how Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. And here's what the author of Hebrews writes. Right on the heels of telling us that Jesus fulfills the Sabbath, we read this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He tells us that what we ultimately need to enjoy Sabbath rest is the word of God. And that's why we need to come together on the Lord's Day as a day of worship, of gathering with God's people and of serving the church. We need the word far more than we realize because we need Sabbath far more than we think. 
And ultimately, the Sabbath teaches us how we must, how we must approach God. Because remember, the law was never a pathway to the presence of God. It never could be. All the people are still down on the mountain. Only Moses is up in God's presence. The only way into the presence of God is through sheer grace, through faith in Jesus. And the Sabbath is a reminder that grace is the only way to stay in the presence of God because we can't work our way to God and we can't work our way into staying with God. The reality of Jesus as our Sabbath prompts us to rest from trying to earn God's favor through our own works righteousness and to rest in the hope of Jesus because it relies on his perfect goodness and his perfect righteousness. Friends, if it relied on us, then a day of rest would never be possible. If it relied on you to work your way into the presence of God, you could never take a day off. But friends, God is far more gracious than we imagine. Because through the death of Jesus and his victorious resurrection, we don't have to seek God through our works. We come through faith, through trust, through resting in him. And this is why we gather on the Lord's Day, to be reminded of that. And it's also why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. You see the connection? Lord's Day, Sunday, Lord's Supper, God's Meal. And we're going to celebrate this in a moment. And the Lord's Supper is for those who are resting in Jesus. If you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, this is more of a teaching tool. Let the the plates pass you by and use it as an opportunity to reflect as we eat of the bread, which stands for Jesus' broken body, and the juice, which stands for his shed blood. It is a means by which we reflect on all Jesus has done And we're able to enjoy the rest of God. And let me say this as we prepare to close. If we can trust him with our eternal life, friends, can't we trust him with the structure of our daily life? Friends, God is calling you to rest. And that means potentially turning off the phone, setting it aside. That will mean stopping trying to achieve his grace. And it'll remember that this world is not held up by you and your efforts. And as we live and work and rest, we need to be reminded that we are being led by a glorious Savior toward an eternal Sabbath that will never end. We're going to pray. We'll take a few moments and then we'll begin to distribute the Lord's Supper. Let's prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Jesus, you have given us a glorious rest to enjoy in your presence. Lord, you have enabled us, Lord, to stop trying to work to earn your favor and to just place our faith in you, to to rest in the fact that you have done everything necessary to bring us to God. And so, Lord, help us to take a day off as we need. Lord, help us to stop thinking we're holding this world together when you're holding it together by your power and your grace. And Lord, help us, if there's any of us that are trying to work our way to you, help us to see that the message of the Sabbath is that we could never do it. 
but that what we need is the transforming power of pure grace. That Jesus, you came to live a perfect life, to die in our place on the cross, and to rise again on the third day to offer us new and everlasting life through faith. And that's what we remember through the Lord's Supper. And that's why we gather every Sunday on the Lord's Day, a day of glorious worship and service for you. Lord, help us to experience your rest in this time together. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, we're thankful that we're able to rest because of grace. And Lord, you've given us the Sabbath to point us toward your Son and the rest that he offers, even though he worked up until that very last moment. And you took his breath and he spent a Sabbath in the grave and rose again on that, on that first day of the week give new and everlasting life to us. Help us to trust you and to look to you in faith. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
take the Lord's Supper together. This from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord, but also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And even the early church gathered on the first day of the week to break bread together. Just like we're now doing because we look toward the same Savior and experience the same rest that they do. And we go out now into this world trusting in our Sabbath rest and offering it to any and all who will talk to. Come to Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden, and find rest. This is our benediction. Send us out into the world this week. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.